he was a he was a retired detective and he saw the portrait it's basically a painting by a man named f john carroll which after years of digging going through past life regression and this and that and being a skeptic he saw it in a gallery in new orleans and that was the same painting he saw in one of his past life regression sessions and he said what he could not get his head around is that he can remember even the brush strokes in the painting. You ever wonder what mediums do with their free time? How about a 30-something-year-old gay medium living in New York City? Well, in this podcast, you're about to find out. Welcome to Ghost Daddy, a place where LGBTQ plus spiritual people and our cis-hetero allies, of course, have a place to just be themselves and spread their wisdom. This is the new face of spirituality. None of that love and light, toxic positivity crap. So pour yourself a vodka soda, <laughs> open up your mind, and start listening. You can listen to the Ghost Daddy podcast anywhere where you listen to podcasts. happened. I'm your host, Liz Enton. If you listen to the intro, you know my story. If not, here's a brief summary. I'm a science skeptic, and when my dad died, I took a shot in the dark and decided to investigate if there was any possible evidence of an afterlife. I assumed that was as realistic as Santa Claus, but I was desperate. However, I was so blown away by what I discovered that I wrote a book and launched this podcast. In this podcast, I will be talking to some fairly normal people about some really weird shit. I speak with everyone from psychic mediums and afterlife researchers to ordinary people who've had some inexplicable experiences. So come, listen, there's no need to draw any final conclusions. Keep an open mind and wonder, what the fuck just happened? Hi, today I'm talking with Johnny Burke from Closer to Venus podcast, and he can definitely introduce himself better than I can. So go ahead, Johnny. Uh, hi, Liz. Um, my name's Johnny Burke. I host the Closer to Venus podcast, which I guess is you call a metaphysical podcast. And the focus of the podcast is to answer questions like, why are we here? How did we get here? And what happens next? In other words, existential questions. So I'm curious, what prompted you to start Closer to Venus in the first place? I moved to South Florida uh, from Los Angeles about seven years ago. And I noticed there was a, a tectonic shift coming from L.A. to a fairly conservative community. If you can imagine what South Florida is like. I mean, I'll, I'll give you a hint. Uh, the president, number 45, I won't say his name, but he has a, a home Ugh. about eight miles from here. So you can just imagine some of the people. And I think that really does impact a lot of the religious types 
And I noticed how the two kind of got kind of got tangled, political, the political beliefs and religious beliefs. And one day I was talking to, to my friend about all these different religious beliefs and how we thought they got in the way of things. So I thought, what if there was an alternative to church? And in his uh, deadpan prose type of speech, he says, why don't you start a podcast? I thought, great. What's, how do I do that? And that was about, um, that was actually about two years ago today. It's, a, it's like in October of 2020, I started to think about it. Then I had to learn how to do it. And being a musician, I was very familiar with recording equipment, you know, digital audio, audio workstations, mics, and all that good stuff. So that kind of helped a little bit because it gave me appreciation for editing and, you know, punching in and punching out and all that cool stuff. But I had no mentors. I just thought, okay, I'm going to go through my Amazon book list of all the stuff I've read over the years and invite people. And uh, the majority of them actually answered. And that's how I got started. Well, okay. First of all, I'll spare our listeners from that disgusting name too, but I love that (laughs) (laughs) you, you, that this was your response because I think a lot of us felt very helpless over the that time and it is and there's still horrific impacts like on women's rights marriage rights but we won't go to this because it's not a political podcast but i think we all have to fight back and support in whatever ways we can so that's an amazing origin story of your podcast well it is because again i don't i dislike intensely any kind of political rants but what i saw was very interesting because when I dove into this world of the intuitives, you know, the empaths, the mediums, the channelers, and all that really incredibly cool stuff, I noticed a lot of them were talking about things like um, ascension, moving 3D to 5D. And with that whole movement of those people that voted for him and his behavior, that to me was like a step backward. So... I noticed that I thought this is not this is definitely not right. I remember um right down the street from where I live there's a super church which a lot of people go to and you know it's very popular and I remember I was driving by and this is I think this is like in 2016 and someone had a sign it was like a barker this is literally right outside of the driveway going into the church where the sign read jail for Hillary and I just, I, I couldn't resist. I just slowed down and um, lowered my window. And he's like, he's like yelling all this stuff. And I said, jail for Hillary. He says, yeah, yeah. I said, that's not very Christian uh, of you, is that? And he just went ballistic. So I just took off. But um, I thought there's something fundamentally wrong with that. And I think a lot of people are led astray. We could talk about this for, maybe we'll bring this up again later on, but that just reinforced the initiative to do this because I thought a lot of things that these people believe are incorrect. And maybe some of them in the church, pastors and so forth, maybe they actually mean well, but I've been to that church. And sometimes it it feels like kind of cultish, that makes any sense. Oh, that makes complete sense. I'm not shocked to hear that. I'm going to ask you a little bit about your beliefs, but I'll just going to have one point where you said about some people having wrong beliefs, which I'm totally okay with as long as you don't pass laws forcing 
those beliefs on others. You can believe anything you want. Mm-hmm. Just don't force that on others. That's where my whole problem with everything that's gone down has come in. But then I might as well ask you, actually, I have just a side question because I'm not sure all our n- listeners know what that means, the ascension from 3D to 5D. Mm-hmm. I know there's been a lot of talk about that in the spiritual world, but a lot of our listeners are very new to learning about this stuff. Mm-hmm. So would you mind just explaining that a second? Well, it, it, the way it's been explained to me, and I have to preface these kind of statements with something which is my mantra, I am not an expert. I'm just, I'm a normal dude. I'm a normal guy from South Jersey who has a lot of questions. You know what I mean? But the way it's been explained to me is in the 3D world, it's it's a lot of it's fear-based. It's kind of a minus sum game for every winner. There has to be a loser. And it's just, it's it's something that I think the people that want to raise their vibe want to get away from. Now, the dimensions, some people think there's, there, there are uh, infinite dimensions, which again, I'm not quite sure of, but 5D, I've heard this over and over again, that thousands of years ago, there were highly advanced civilizations, not just in, in terms of technology, but in terms of consciousness, where, for instance, telepathy was completely normal. And uh, they were just, you know, they were, they were, on, a hot, they were on higher ground. But what happened was greed eventually took over and eventually we went into conscious wise. Anyway, we went into like a bear market. You know, maybe that's not the greatest analogy, but that's kind of what that what that discussion is about. Also, consciousness apparently runs in cycles where it goes up and down and hopefully we're hitting a bottom and we're coming up. But that last president, not the current one, the last president, I think, is pitching his back the hill the wrong way, if that makes any sense. Did I explain that adequately? You did. Only part I can say is I don't know anything yet about dimensions. I'd like to learn more. The only thing I know about that is related to string theory. And then 100% agree that last, I don't even want to say president because, you know, mm-hmm. popular vote, you know, whatever. Oh, I mean, I just detest him more than. But in all, in all fairness, Maybe, you know, another part of the theories and, you know, me basically kind of connecting the dots with all this information and all the different guest speakers I've talked to is that maybe he's actually here for a reason, not a good reason, but maybe this is going to finally give us a huge kick in the rear to say, hey, look, we have to change our ways. This is this type of thinking because his behavior and his cronies uh, basically gives tacit approval to it's okay to lie it's okay to cheat it's okay to to uh, insult people and basically be jackass that's not going to help us raise our vibing and get to higher consciousness because i think at the end of the day the idea is you know we're going to talk about you know reincarnation theories and stuff like that we have to raise our vibe enough so after a while we don't have to keep coming back here you know, it's we're going to go to Nirvana or something where, um, you know, I can go play guitar with Jimi Hendrix and Dwayne Allman and Tom Petty. And I don't have to come back to Earth. I think we that's what I think a lot of people are after. They want to get to that point where they raise their vibration, where they go back to the light. And I think it's when your question about Ascension in 3D to 5D, what's that all about? I think that's the track that those people want to get on, myself included. I'd put all that into philosophy 
from my perspective over evidence, which sometimes I really enjoy doing, but you know, I always try to go back to the evidence. So I just don't know. I could have this conversation. If I start going into this with you too much, I'll keep you on for five hours and you'll hate me. So, well, actually, I, I, yeah, go ahead. I, I, I'd like to hear that because my whole scene and what I'm trying to get out of this is based on experience that comes from intuitives, the people that can see beyond the physical world. And I think that's going to tell us a lot more than what, you know, the canon of the church or the scientists for that matter, because they, you know, I know we talked about this before. I think their span or their whatever, their, their um, binoculars are a bit limited to say the least, but I'd like to hear what you, what you're thinking about the philosophy angle anyway. Oh, well, definitely related to the reincarnation. I think there's valid evidence of that. I've talked about on my podcast related to Dr. Jim Tucker, Mm -hmm. the late Dr. Ian Stevenson, and the studies done by the Division of Perceptual Studies at University of Virginia, which I'll link to in the show notes. But in terms of what you were saying, I mean, this is just I'm completely pulling this out of my ass. Um, It's just, again, (laughs) philosophy. I haven't read any studies. I've read string theory, which shows multiple dimensions. But I, if I could guess, I tend to think we are living, going to live multiple, multiple, multiple lives, Mm -hmm. some material forms, some non-material, all like sort of this pulsating consciousness. We live on different planets, you know, in trillions of years after the big bang, big crunch. My guess is we go through big bangs, big crunches, constantly ideally evolving to higher and higher states in theory i mean definitely you throw someone out like mango mussolini as joy reed calls him we'll avoid the t-word on this and <laughs> you know yeah mango throws, did, what did, i'm sorry um, man, did you say oh. mango mussolini that's what joy reed has called him if you ever listen to her podcast that sounds like a band it sounds like uh like a like a brooklyn indie band or something you know oh no <laughs> it might be on your floor whatever even your building um, I, oh I think I think you really summarize that quite well, because what I've been told again and again and again is that we keep coming back and, co- and coming back until we go get closer and closer to the light. But we don't have to come back here unless we choose to as perhaps an elder, you know, to to play a role. Yeah, we're right. We can we can go on about this for quite some time. But um, yeah, those are that's that's at least what I've gotten from it in order to kind of connect the dots and make sense of all this. What were your beliefs before starting closer to Venus? I was a good, good old Catholic boy. You know, when I, I, when I was like, you know, nine, I was confirmed, you know, I went to church on Sundays. I went to CCD after school and and the nuns were brutal, but I thought I, I liked, I have to admit, I liked the organization of it all. And I liked the, I liked that feeling of being in church and, you know, the warm, fuzzy feeling. It's almost like uh, meditation, but I had a lot of problems with it. Uh, they, even early on, I learned about re- reincarnation and I always wondered out loud why no one ever talked about it. As far as the like afterlife, never had a doubt. Even when I was young, I thought I lost my dad uh, when I was five in a car accident. I just I was always like a hypersensitive kid and I, I would get affected pretty deeply about a lot of stuff you know when someone would die even if they weren't related to me and just things in general i'm thinking 
when I first, when someone first told me, oh, when we, you know, we live and then we die and then we go on the ground, I, I thought, and then what? Oh, that's it. We go on the ground. And I thought, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It just doesn't make any sense. Why would we be here and go through this and go through all the, you know, like compete for the girl or, or the guy and then compete for the trophy job and, and all this stuff only to be when you're done, you're done, you get put in the ground. And that's that to me is deeply silly. So I never, never had a doubt about that. I just didn't really agree with what we were told in church about some guy with a long beard and sandals floating on a cloud, you know? I mean, I've never been to church and, you know, culturally Jewish, so rarely even synagogue, except for like special holidays. Right. I even went to some church on special holidays, but always very secular cultures. So yeah, I just, I can't identify, but I bet a lot of our listeners identify with that. I have two questions. Well, first of all, I'm so sorry you lost your dad so young. I mean, as you know, I've lost my dad and it's just hell. But at five years old, I'm really sorry. That's awful. Yeah, that's well, you know, it, it's life. Everyone's got a story. You know what I mean? And I've seen people that are more fortunate than me and obviously a lot that are a whole lot less fortunate. There's always something. But, you know, again, what, what this has taught me about this whole trip this whole journey is that, again, I was trying to make sense of everything. Like, there's got to be a reason. There's got to be a reason why I'm here and you're here. I can, we could talk about that if you want, about what the reason is and what the structure looks like, according to what I've heard from, you know, the chorus, pretty much, because I've heard it in, uh, so many times where I don't have any doubt that it's real. You know, there's probably a reason for everything. Did you ever get any signs or communication from your dad? I can't say that I have, but that whole period is just blacked out. I remember right before, right before he passed, I don't remember when he passed. And then I remember like right after it. So that's just like, it's a, it's just a blank space. I don't really know what happened. So uh, signs, no. So then I guess I'm going to ask you also to expand on what you were saying, why you're so convinced there's an afterlife. One of the best ways to explain that was I was listening to an audiobook. This is before I started the podcast of the Long Island Medium. Teresa Caputo? Yes. I was listening to an audiobook from Teresa Caputo. It's one that where she's got the blue dress on. And at one point she literally says, life is like an episode of Saturday Night Live. Everyone joins in on different skits and they wear different uh, different characters and different outfits, but at the end of the night, they all hug. And I thought, God, that's brilliant. And I don't know how many times, Liz, I've heard this from many people that have experienced the life in between lives space. Some call it the resting place. Some call it the in-between. It's a place where sometimes you get a life review. And one of the things that never really varies a whole lot is that's where you make life agreements or soul agreements with your soul family. And you basically, it's like casting a movie. The first time I heard that, I thought it's too good to be true. That can't be true. But I've heard it so many times that it would be silly to ignore it. And that's why we're here those agreements are apparently made for the group to learn for the for the greater good of the group to learn and sometimes it's not very pleasant stuff and the more i dive into this and the more i interview people 
that's one thing that doesn't vary. We're here to play a role. And sometimes it's not so nice. If you look at it that way, what's kind of liberating about it is that it, it relieves you from the burden of judging people. You know, it's very easy to say, well, that person's a jerk or she's a bitch or this and that, whatever. But if you accept that, like, if that is true, and these are roles you're playing for the most part, obviously we have free will. But if those are roles, that's what they're cast to do. So you have to think of, okay, when I get done with this, I'm going to go back home, is what they call it. And I'm going to get a reception. They're going to say, cool, you did good. Or, you know, how do you think you did? And you keep, you keep doing that until you don't either don't need to come back or you only come back when you feel it's necessary. In one episode very recently, this kind of freaked me out a little bit where this woman apparently had a very abusive father and it turned out that the father was an advanced soul, like an elder. And he was here to basically teach her forgiveness. Wow, that's that just blew me away. But the more I hear things like that when I do the interviews, it just reinforces that belief. Like, are they all making this up? Probably not. What are the odds? It, it makes you rethink things. I'm always open to listening to anything. I've sort of had theories on this, but I'm also a little curious. How do you think then evil ties into that? I choose not to believe in evil when i when i hear people talk about evil they're often religious types there might be shadow people whatever whatever they're called i would choose not to give them any energy they might just be lost souls i'm not really sure but i think you know people maybe maybe hitler maybe mussolini maybe mango mussolini maybe they're here to play a role to teach us to really give our civilization or our culture a jolt meaning wake the F up, you know, you know, get your act together. You guys are sliding back down the hill. You're not supposed to do that. We're, we're here to try and evolve. And that goes back to the whole ascension thing about waking up and getting out of 3D and into 5D. And hopefully, maybe thousands of years from now, maybe this will be an advanced race again. I mean, that's, that's probably 10 or 15 lifetimes from now, if not, if not longer. But that's the way I look at it. And right or wrong, that's uh, that seems to be the plan I'm gonna I'm gonna go with. Does seem we are progressively getting better. It's just not as linear as we would like. No, and we have a long way to go. But I still do think we're better than a couple thousand years ago. But and again, this is completely philosophical. I haven't seen evidence of this. One thing I've wondered is I've imagined earth as almost like a filter like you get the negative people the negative energies positive energies downloaded as people mm -hmm. and a lot of the ones that are more negative are maybe coming here to grow like a friend of mine who studies this i once asked him he said he doesn't think there are any bad people so i asked him what about mango mussolini and he said well, no, he doesn't think he's bad. Think of how he was treated as a child. He had abusive parents who probably were abusive themselves, abused themselves. And then when he acted the way he acts now, it just kept getting rewarded and rewarded. Mm -hmm. it, or sometimes maybe someone punished him or didn't like him. But he was like, imagine if at five years old, he was acting like whatever horrifying five-year-old that 
person was. And if instead of it either being rewarded or punished, someone, adults around him, we lived in a more advanced society and adults were like, you must be so sad. We're so sorry. Come over for like a hug and milk and cookies. You can't treat people that way because you're hurting them. And if he just got lots of love in a much more loving society that could absorb maybe the rare family that was abusive, he would have turned out completely differently. Perhaps. Maybe. I'm not saying I know that. It was just a very nice, interesting way of looking at the world. The other is people of different levels, emotional levels come here and we try to help the more lost ones grow. We're evolving like these energy consciousness to higher. I mean, this is getting just super philosophy, but it's, you know, these are fun conversations. I like a lot of what you said, and it reminded me of a couple of things. When you said, when someone comes to earth, what I've been told quite a bit is that people come, souls come back to earth to learn. This is because it's one, it's the quickest way to work off your karma because this place is what I've told. I mean, what I keep hearing is that it's it's rough. There's a lot of other planets, your star systems or locations or, or whatever that are a lot nicer. And yes, people do come here to learn. But the other thing that you mentioned that it triggered another thought about, there is no good and there is no bad. It's just all experience. And that is also fortified by another uh, speaker who told me that we need all experiences, you know, like going back to that episode where the girl had the super abusive father. She in that role was the victim of abuse. But in another life, she's going to be the abuser. And you have to know both sides in order to appreciate all experiences. So when someone says we need all experiences and there is no good and bad, there's just experience. I'm thinking, OK, great. So sometimes. I have to play the role of the good guy. Sometimes I have to play the role of someone who's not so good because that's that's how I'm going to really evolve. And again, that trying to make sense of all of this, the experience, as Prince would say, this you know, this experience that we call life. I'm just trying to make sense of it. And when I pick different parts of what I've heard and put it together, now it's making more sense. I think. But I know it's a lot for many people to get their head around. And I don't have many opportunities to really talk to people outside of the show or like on this, on your podcast, because I'll often get those deer in the light stares and eventually someone will change the subject to something else. So usually I don't even bother unless someone will ask. Yeah, <laughs> these are not just casual conversations you can always right. have everywhere. I also want to ask. Have your viewpoints changed since starting Closer to Venus and meeting so many people? It, it's more like they've been confirmed rather than changed. I didn't, I, as I mentioned before, I always kind of knew on a gut level that a lot of the things in the Bible were not accurate. I don't know how. I just thought this doesn't. First of all, they're leaving out reincarnation. What else did they leave out? And as again, as I've dived deeper into this. Oh, I did an episode with a woman, which will probably come out right after your episode. Uh, her name's Betty Kovach, and she talks about how our shaman mystic past has been suppressed by the church for thousands of years. I thought, oh, well, duh, that doesn't shock me at all. And it's not like it's even a huge revelation. I thought I knew it was missing something. I knew that 
the canon, the philosophy, what we were taught, there was something that was edited out a long time ago. And now I think I know what it is. Yeah, it's, it's fortified and confirmed a lot of my suspicions and beliefs, which is, is good. The other part is it kind of filled in the gaps of well, what the, you know, what the hell is this? This makes no sense. And that doesn't make any sense. And now it's starting to be a little bit clearer. So you said that you always just thought there was reincarnation. That was one reason you didn't believe religion, even though you were raised in a religious culture. What made you think so strongly that reincarnation is true? I'm not quite sure, but I learned about that when I was a kid. I guess something resonated within me where I thought, okay, reading about Buddhism when I was like nine, because I, I remember when I was in, I think it was fourth grade, one of my teachers told me I was reading on a 12th grade level. So I started that really early on. And luckily I had relatives that were very studious educator types. And I remember a talk about Buddhism and Hinduism and Jainism, all this stuff. And I thought, well, so what is that? And they explained what the Buddhists thought. And I thought, that's cool. And I always knew that the Eastern philosophy, their cultures were usually thousands, millennia, thousands of years ahead of us. You know, when you were talking about Dr. Ian Stevenson, how I think he did his, his subjects, those kids that have past life memories, were not Americans. They were from, I'm pretty sure they were mostly from cultures that were a lot more accepting of things like reincarnation, things of that nature, for good reason. Initially, he added American he did. too. And Jim Tucker, his protege, also did a lot of American. But didn't it start with kids from different countries, like in the 60s and the 70s? It started with kids from India. Yep, that would make sense. And then I learned about that pretty early on, being a big reader. And I thought that just, you know, when I, when I was in college, I started reading about near-death experiences. And that was, that to me was a game changer. And recently, I interviewed this woman named Barbara Bartolome. Lives in Santa Barbara. Lives about a minute away from where my brother lives. And she has a fairly well-known case where in 1987, I believe, she went to the hospital for a procedure, something went wrong and she wound up flatlining and she told me she watched herself flatline. And in the operating room, she remembered what this doctor said and what this doctor did. And this one dropped something on the floor. Amazing. And, you know, you hear dozens, hundreds, thousands of cases like this. It just makes all that much more sense. And when you connect that to reincarnation and uh, everything else that's related to it especially when it's verified. Was what she saw verified when she checked with the doctors? Yeah, that was why her case was so well known. I think there's a there's a YouTube. She has a YouTube, not her video, but there's an interview of her on YouTube where it's got like half a million views where she was able to to basically tell these two doctors, you said this and you said that and you did this then and then this nurse walked across the operating room and and they just, they didn't know what to say. But she did tell me recently that 20 years later, she saw one of the surgeons and he said, yes, Barbara, you had a real, you had a near-death experience, but I can't say that in front of my staff because that will upset them and the patients. But he even knew back then. 
the other surgeon wouldn't even talk about it. So that was that was an eye opener. It's great stuff because that basically tells us that consciousness is not created in the brain. Consciousness survives the death of the brain. There's no getting around that. It's not what I think. I mean, I've talked to enough people, and don't take my word for it. Look at the million cases that have been documented by IANS and other nonprofits like that. It's not like this is a, a case of three or four different people. This is like hundreds of thousands of them. And valid people are researching this, even about consciousness being able to be downloaded by the brain. I mean, this is so, so early research that it's not considered something that valid yet, but there's theories that a part of the brain that could download consciousness are called microtubules or tubulars. And this is being studied by Sir Roger Penrose and Dr. Stuart Hameroff, and mm -hmm. they've both won Nobel Prizes as scientists. They've worked with Stephen Hawking. So definitely one of them has. I'll have to double check if both have. So these are valid scientists. And when I hear that combined with hearing so many personal experiences, it just, it, it starts to add up. Have you had any one major personal experience that you would just classify as like a major what the fuck or major <laughs> can't believe that happened? Inspired by David Justice, who died after a nearly two-year battle with glioblastoma, JET, Joyful Experience Team, was founded by his son Oliver Justice and his best friends, River Attard, Leo Gerstein, Jack Gorenstein, and Felix Ward. JET seeks to create joyful experiences for families struggling with brain cancer, a chance to enhance their lives with experiences that are rich in love and will be treasured for all time. We believe, like David did, that life should not be measured in time, but in joyful moments. JET will allow families coping with this painful diagnosis to go to special events and be treated like VIPs. Go to makingheadway.org forward slash JET for a complete list of programs and activities. I wouldn't call it a WTF, but I'll tell you this much. When I was 16, a friend of mine died in a car accident. This is in New Jersey. I think what they were doing is they were, it was snowing. They were coming back from skiing. And I didn't know all the, I knew like three of the kids that were in the car. I didn't, I didn't know the kid that was driving, but they they were trying to jump over this hill in a car on a road, which I believe is Province Line Road, which is in Princeton. And they went out of control and they hit, they hit a uh, hole and the two kids that were sitting in the front died. I had not had contact with him in a while because I I went to prep school the year before. And I just, I felt really horrible that I hadn't seen him in like a year. And I had a dream one night where I walked out of my room and I walked down my stairs and he was at the foot of the stairs. And this is years later, I can still remember the, uh, the expression on, on his face. And I thought, was that a dream or not? I remember waking up the next day and feeling much better. And I told a couple people about it and they looked at me like I was obviously out of my mind. So I never brought it up again. I guess that's the dream visitation. I don't really know what else you would call that. Yeah, that's dream visitation. 
some of the dream visitations have been verified. For example, they'll see someone in a dream and then they find out the next day that person passed away or the person they'll see in the dream tells them something that they didn't know and then is proven to be true. There's something where finding something that I think someone's mom had been looking for something their dad had hidden somewhere or placed somewhere and the dad came in and said, this is there. I think it's like a piece of paper with details about the will was in a pocket. If you Google it, there's tons of very specific cases. And I have to ask you, did this dream feel different than other dreams? And if so, how? It did, because usually dreams evaporate almost as soon as you wake up. This one I never forgot. And to this day, I can see very clearly walking down the stairs. And he's, I remember putting my hand on his shoulder and feeling something. He didn't say anything. And typically spirits usually don't talk very much, if at all. But uh, I remembered it vividly. And that was a long time ago. And I'm hoping that was the real thing. And to also, you just mentioned how they've been validated. My sister-in-law, Maria, has had dreams like that. I think she's got somewhat of a second sense. She's had dreams of relatives that have passed on that have told her things that turned out to be true. Actually, I think some of us have, not me, but some of us do have that, that membrane between this dimension and whatever you want to call it is a lot thinner and they're able to do that. I'm not. Other than that one dream, I've not had any intuitive experiences or anything like that. Are you able to share an example of one of her dreams? Yeah, I can't really remember all the details. Um, she's had dreams of her father. She's actually has memories. I don't know whether that, I'm not sure, quite sure if this was a dream or not, but she has a memory because she was, she was married to my brother, but she has past life memory of being married to him, where this is probably 100, maybe 200 years ago, where he went off, I guess, to sea, perhaps to war, and never came back. She's probably had quite a few of those. And I know, I do remember in their house, she's had some experience with, with spirits, I mean, real ones, where she had a dream about a man, and then she figured out the name, and then... <laughs> She actually figured out it was the man that used to live in the house and apparently passed years ago, which was pretty disturbing. But I mean, they had some some wacky things happen. Like one day the microwave was spinning and shooting sparks and it wasn't even turned on. It just started doing that. I kind of felt the vibes too. Uh, whenever, whenever I was in that house, it was, on, uh, it was in Pennington and uh, I, I knew they weren't making it up. If you can clarify about, she had a dream about the person who lived in the house before. Right. And the person told her his name and she went and checked it out and it turned out to be true. Yeah, it turned out to be true. Yes. I can't remember his name because this was years ago, but I remember her telling me about it and just remembering what it felt like to be in that house. I remember one day I was like, I was playing pool and I could have sworn I heard someone said, Johnny, like in a whisper. And I said, what? And my nephew was all the way in the other room of the house. And I said, did you just call me? I said, no. And no one else is there. I thought uh, maybe that's my imagination or, or whatever. But I had no doubts because that house definitely had some spirits. Now that I think of it, there was one other experience where I think I was about 18. And my mom wanted, my mom wanted me to move out of the house. This was right before I went away to college. I lived with my brother. 
in the house where my uh, godfather used to live and he had passed and there were definitely some vibes in that house i remember one because uh, i had the bedroom upstairs and i remember once uh at night i heard steps coming up to my room and i got pretty i i, I, was, I was really afraid because it didn't seem really very natural and there was a cat and the cat just started going ballistic it was almost as if someone was taking the cat and slamming him repeatedly against the chair there and then all of a sudden it stopped and i thought okay it's got to be my idiot neighbor this kid that lived next door but uh, i talked to him the other day i said what are you talking about i said are you sure you didn't you weren't you weren't pranking me he said no man I thought, okay, I just, I just wrote it off. I figured he was, he, it was probably him just being, because he was a little bit of a goofball, but I'll never forget that experience with the cat. It just didn't seem natural. And they say animals can see and sense other dimensions. I mean, we already know they can see things and hear things that- That we can't. Right. That makes sense. You know, I've definitely had- some experiences with my animals seeing things. I just remember once my previous dog and cat, we called them the twins. They were best friends in the same color. And the cat passed maybe about a year and a half before the dog. And that was heartbreaking for the dog. And they were so close. And as I said, they're the twins, the same color. And one day I was just sitting in my bed on my laptop working and I saw my dog run around the corner. This was after my cat had passed away. But then I looked and my dog hadn't run around the corner. She was sitting on my bed next to me. Before, whenever I saw them out of the corner of my eye, I could never tell them apart until I looked a little closer. But what happened next is the same direction I just saw the cat or whatever, thought I saw the dog run. The dog perked up her head jumped up and went running in that same exact direction as if she was looking for something. And, you know, she always used to run after the cat and look for her and they would kiss. And I thought that was a little evidential. And I just remembered something else. I lived in an old apartment in LA for years. I think the building, I think it was built in like 1936. And uh, we used to call it the Vortex because we had a lot of parties there. And I remember one night I walked into the living room and there was a scent of lilacs, like a, like a really old fashioned perfume. I went out to the balcony. I figured maybe it was someone who was walking because it was a garden apartment. Maybe someone was in the courtyard or something. There was no one else in the house. And not only that, but I can't imagine a young girl, a young woman wearing an antiquated scent. And so one of my friends came over, her name was Hollis. And I said, Hollis, I think I might have a spirit in here or something. And she looks at me and goes, duh, I was waiting when you're going to bring that up. And so we burned sage around the perimeter of the apartment. And then that never happened again. Uh, I don't really know what that means. Lilacs, there's probably some kind of symbolism there. I'm not really quite sure. I have to ask you, because this is one thing I've never understood. So you burn the sage because you don't want them there. I want them around so much, If the, given this is all true. I'm just curious, why do you not want spirits around? Well, I think, I think the idea, again, I'm not an expert on this, but the idea of burning the sage is to release them and let them go back, let them uh, guide them to the light. Because of what I've been told about 
earthbound ghosts is that either either they don't know they're dead or they're just lost or they're attached to something here on earth and that's not doing anybody any good i don't think they really mean any harm but they're going to be about a lot better off going to the light i think so that's that's what i think that's meant for so i'm i'm going to ask you a little bit more about your podcast so what type of guests do you have and how do you find them first I went through my Amazon list of the, all the books that uh, I've read, and I just sent out invitations, went on to Facebook, and that was actually okay, but you know, some of the guests I got, or some of the people that responded were not great. I did find a site called podcastguests.com that every once in a while, they'll like every six months, I think they will feature your podcast and what I started to do is under the requirements was they were either an experiencer, a researcher, or a practitioner. And a practitioner is like a medium, Reiki healer, past life regression, like a, a regressionist or a psychiatrist or something like that. I didn't really want to invite you know, people that just read books. I mean, that's anybody can do that. And so I just started reaching out to people and then asking them for referrals. And eventually I, you know, got a lot more people actually reaching out to me. And then I just kind of set up guidelines for what I was looking for to uh, make my job a little bit easier. Yeah, And not only that, but to actually make, you know, create some really good content that people were going to learn from, including myself. And what do you hope to accomplish with Closer to Venus? Originally, it was for me to learn because, again, the objective was to find answers you know why we're here how did we get here what really happens when we die and that just opened the door for all types of different speakers to kind of chime in on that i know you said religion was a huge part of your childhood and something i just don't know as much about how have religious people responded to what you're doing. I know me somewhat raised in such a secular culture. Some of the people think this is really mm -hmm. interesting. And a lot I've noticed, especially not to be ageist in any way, but especially the older generation, like my mom's friends and like my dad's old friends think I'm batshit. So, and just can't process his loss. And they think this is all nonsense. Whereas some people are really curious, but there's still a taboo about all of this in secular culture. What has been the response in, from your religious community, if they're even still part of your life? They're not, but I know this one girl who still goes to that church I mentioned before. It, it, it's kind of almost comical. She's actually genuinely curious. You know, she'll say like, what are you reading now? And then I told her about the podcast and she was very interested in that. Is that what kind of topics do you talk about? And often I'll hear things like, oh, that, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's interesting. That's not in the Bible. And okay, that, oh, reincarnation. Yeah, yeah, that's not in the Bible either. I said, great. So since you brought it up, do your Bible study classes or any of your peers ever talk about the missing years of Jesus when he was in India for what, 17 years? something like that? No. Do they ever talk about the shaman mystic past that's been suppressed or repressed by church and state for millennia? And of course, no answer there. You know, other people will kind of like, as if to put up their hands, stop right there. I know what I know. And, uh, I believe what I believe. Don't confuse me with the facts type of thing. 
that's just where they are. But another thing, call it like a footnote or a guidepost is that, and this is very helpful, is that, again, it makes no sense to judge people because they are where they're supposed to be on their path. And it's not your job to say, oh, you need to believe this or you need to believe that. And which was a comfort to me because I'm not here to convert or convince anybody of anything. I let these people come on and speak and listeners, you know, all 14 of them, and maybe there's more than that, but you get my point. I mean, it's not like it, I, I have a fanatical following or anything, but they can get out of it what they need to. Uh, this was kind of a question that was running in the back of my mind a lot during this podcast, and it's not evidence-based. It's more again, getting a little bit to philosophy, but you say everyone's supposed to be where they are and don't judge. And how do you hold people accountable both with that, both from extreme violence like rape and murder to everything Mango Mussolini has done to milder things such as people who are very religious who are then passing laws, you know, like against marriage equality, against women's right to choose, you know, I mean, things that are causing a lot of harm in others. It's a really, really good question. I've never had that before. That's an easy one, right? <laughs> well, it, it should be easy, but it really isn't because there's only so much you can control. Going back to people like Mango Mussolini and these people with these anti-Joe Biden stickers festooned on their car, I, I dislike these people intensely, but again, you know, I'm not going to change them. And, you know, for those people that do wrong things or break the law, they need to be punished. They're on their path, whatever that is, or maybe they're just complete jackasses. I can't really tell. And this is a question I've had for a, for a long time and no one can really answer. Okay, so if in the in-between space, we're con constantly casting movies or a play, and like a stage play for our soul families, how do we discern those that are actually sticking to the role to those that go off script? I don't know. That's one thing I'd really mm -hmm. like to, I don't think I'm ever going to get a clear answer on it. But at the same time, I think it's pretty cool that I'm even actually able to ask that question. Because two years ago, I wouldn't even, I would not have thought to even bring that up. That makes sense or not? It does. Probably, I would guess, one of the most complex questions out there. I think there's also good people, very good people doing very bad things. Again, super philosophical, but let's take someone I just think is a complete jackass. Like <laughs> the guy who, um, like that cute, the Pizzagate guy who went in, ran it, believes Mango Mussolini goes into the pizza place and you, you remember that story early day q anon oh jesus yeah and that's yeah that oh god i mean i just am like what a shithead what a mm -hmm. fucking shithead but uh, someone who genuinely thinks that there are rescuing a child sex trafficking ring i mean child sex trafficking is about as evil as you can get so some of these people i think you have to say, and if you look at it from another way, what a good person who is totally misinformed. I don't know if you've ever read Steve Hassan, but he's one of the ones that makes me think most about like good versus evil. He was in a cult in the 70s, and now he helps people get out of cults. And he says, no one intentionally joins a cult, and your cult personality is not 
is not necessarily who you are. And you've got to look at someone like some of these Trump followers or people who are like anti-gay, anti-women's rights. They've been fed this stuff. And in one sense, you could say they're really good people doing really shitty things. Does that make sense? And it's that's where I get so confused. It does. And it's positively mind-boggling. I saw a picture on one of the news sites of some of the QAnon people when this one guy was spreading his arms as if he was some kind of messiah breaking into the Capitol building. I'm thinking, what planet are you? <laughs> what planet are you from? And it reminds me of a, a very buffoonish host of a show. I like to call him Cucker Tarlson. I know that's not his real name, but I hate him. What do you call him? Chuck, uh, Cucker Tarlson. Cucker <laughs> Tarlson. Okay. I just. Uh, that's hilarious. He's awful. He is awful. But again, Liz, they're, I have to think of them, they're characters. It's like a comic book strip come to life. And that's probably the best way to look at these people, these QAnon people. I don't I mean, you have to be one of the dumbest people on the planet to actually believe in their theories. But maybe there's a reason they're doing that. Maybe that's, again, maybe the, the larger truth of that is that that's happening to wake us up like this is off the wall come on you fix this you meaning the populace correct it do what you got to do because again that to me is sliding back down the hill and that's not where we need to go so hopefully there's a, a greater purpose in all of that because it is pretty off the wall in a little bit of defense of some of the QAnon people, like their humanity. And I mean, there's a line I never thought I'd say in defense of the QAnons, but. Oh, man, I need a drink. A lot are just very, yeah, after this, I hear you. But yeah, a lot are like very, very broken people. You know what? Probably right. And someone came in at, and manipulated them at a very dark time in their lives. I was listening to one on YouTube and she had lost everything in the housing crisis. And she's there home, depressed. She'd had a mm -hmm. decent life until 2008. And she starts going on YouTube and then just falling down the rabbit hole. And then she said, finally, she realized it was a bunch of bullshit. But in one sense, we've got to find the source of this, which I would say are people more like Tucker Carlson. I have no empathy for them, but I can have empathy for the average QAnon person. I mean, it, well, coming face to face with them, they're infuriating. Yeah. But in theory, if I step back, I can have empathy for them that I'm not advanced enough that, to muster that up for Tucker Carlson or Bolsonaro or the T word. To me, they're cartoon characters. That's the easiest way for me to categorize them and compartmentalize all that because other, otherwise it, it can really get under your skin. It still does. So I have a lot of family here. Some of us voted for the blue side, some of us voted for the red side. So we have to be, now we have to be very careful about the stuff we, we bring up because I don't really want to take part in any political discussions. I just, to me, it's a waste of time. There's always going to be some genius in the room that's going to be a downer and I just don't need it. And a lot of them, I think they're drinking the Kool-Aid and I don't have a Kool-Aid dispenser where I live and I never will. Just, it's not my thing. I hear you. And it's hard because I do think some of it's based on white supremacy, like an innate need for white supremacy, innate need to believe straight white men should be the ones in charge. That element has basically collided with the religious element, which again was, for what's worth, you did ask me about this before, that was one of the, um, it gave me incentive to start this thing in the first place. You had uh, probably a similar incentive as well. 
my incentive was basically, I think, you know, after the loss of my father, I just desperately wanted to see if there was evidence of an afterlife. I'm an atheist. I really don't know any T-word supporters. I, I mean, I'm in my little bubble in New York and L.A. I mean, I've met a few and I have to say not all of them, but a few are good people for whatever reasons. That'd be a long story to figure out. But overall, I started this. I just think this is the most remarkable, scientific, life-changing batch of evidence that I've ever come across. The only way I can describe it is as if I thought I knew the world and, you know, sort of like a childhood fantasy. You wake up, you see a key sitting in your room and you find a random door and you walk in and you're in a room full of colors you've never seen before, you know, and it's just like you see that and you're like, I just can't let this go. So that's why I started this. That's one thing I think we have in common. The political religious thing was that was somewhat of a catalyst. But I think at, at the core, it was since I stopped playing in bands a couple of years ago, I really needed something to some kind of a creative outlet. And I started to, you know, having a discussion with my friend. And I thought, yeah, I could talk about this. I could talk about near-death experiences and interview people. And because it's a lot different reading about it is one thing, but actually hearing experiencers talk about it as it's quite different. And I only throw in the political because I think with what's happened, I mean, especially now we've gotten to the point, just it's getting darker and darker, even though we do have Biden, you know, Roe has been overturned. It's just go. I, I think it's something that every single person, no matter what field you're in, you need to talk about this and not let that go. So that is kind of why I will bring in the political, because I don't feel it's any more about political, which is like trickle down economics. It's an egregious risk and violation of human rights at this point. It is. It, and you have to think you have to, we have to admit that that partially, that is partially influenced by conservative religious types. That's kind of feeding into it. That's the problem I have with that whole thing. I mean, I don't want to demonize the church, but, you know, when I forget this, one of the Republican congresswomen was saying the church should basically make decisions about what we should do. I thought, are you out of your mind? Why? <laughs> what year is this? It's 2022. It's not 1972. It's not even 1952. I just thought that was incredible. Yeah. And it's been done before, burning of witches, and it's going on in other countries, Saudi Arabia, Tehran. That's not a country, it's a city. So I should, sorry, I should repeat Iran. But you look at photos of Tehran in the 70s and people are Women are in cute mini skirts. I mean, why could it not happen here? So we just can't, I think we can't be quiet about it. But I'm going to ask you one final thing. What would you say you have seen that you consider is the biggest evidence of afterlife, sigh, non-local consciousness, all of it? That I've seen or that someone has... Whatever. What would you personally, at this point, you definitely think there's an afterlife as far as I've understood. And what would you say at this point is the most compelling reason for that, for your conclusion? That's a really good question. It's really a combination of things. But I think I did mention earlier, speaking with and interviewing Barbara Bartolome, who, again, this has been documented. She's been involved with several afterlife type nonprofits. When she told me during the podcast and afterwards how she literally saw herself flatline. I just, that was, that just blew me away. And I kind of knew already, like, 
I've heard enough. I've talked to lots of people about near-death experiences, but actually interviewing someone that's been documented, that's been on TV and has been interviewed God knows how many times. Um, and the fact that she lives a mile away from my brother, which is hilarious. She's the real thing. So I remember she was also telling me that when she was young, she was she had premonitions, like she was at a party once and she knew the cops were coming. They were in high school. And she told her friends that you got to get out of here. And her friends thought, what are you doing? What do you mean we have to get out of here? Three minutes later, cops come up to the driveway and all the kids are scattered. Good. And they all got away in time. Yeah. But yeah, but her friends, Barbara's friends started calling her a witch. And so she had experiences like that, which to me really kind of fortified her testimony. And I thought, okay, yeah, you're an intuitive. You know, you, you've felt spirits when you were younger, you had this happen, and now this happened, which we all know is documented. Another really interesting case was an interview with a man called Bob. He was a, he was a retired detective. I can't remember his last name, but he wrote a book called Portrait of a Past Life Skeptic. His name is Robert Snow. And as Johnny said, he is author of Portrait of a Past Life Skeptic, the true story of a police detective's reincarnation. And he saw the portrait. It's basically a painting by a man named F. John Carroll, which after years of digging, going through past life regression and this and that and being a skeptic, he saw it in a gallery in New Orleans. And that was the same painting he saw in one of his past life regression sessions. And he said what he could not get his head around is that he could remember even the brush strokes in the painting. And he said, how is it possible that I saw this painting? He said, I thought I was on my deathbed with tubes and I was like dreaming. It had that, had that happen. And to make a long story short, he actually found out who this guy was. He was a painter and found his diary and confirmed that there was 20, 26 facts that he wrote down from his past life regression sessions. So at the very end of the episode, I asked him, I said, so what do you think? And he says, what else could it be? Whew, wow. It was, uh, it was incredible. And when I first got started, this woman named Wendy Rose Williams said, you got to meet this guy. He's a retired homicide detective and this and that. I've heard of this guy so much. She finally sent me an email saying, Bob, this is Johnny. Johnny, this is Bob. You guys got to get together. And that was it. That was pretty, because he was a hard-boiled skeptic. He was as skeptical as anyone. And now we're going to pause for a second for the question of the week. Allison asks, what do I think of the Akashic Records? Um, this is a hard one to answer. I really don't know much about it. It's a little more theoretical and spiritual than scientific. And there isn't and a way to really do data and research on it. So this is the best I can answer. If anyone doesn't know what the Akashic Records are, it's essentially a cloud of data of every single person, all of the lives we've lived, given that, you know, we do live multiple lives, all of our thoughts, and apparently, I believe, future lives and our purposes, 
for our lives are all stored in them. Essentially, it's like a huge cloud bank. So the aspect of this that I think makes sense is everything we do here really is recorded in light rays. So if we were to travel at the speed of light, which we physically are not at this point able to do, we would see, kind of stay seeing everything that's happening at one specific moment. And it would look as if time was standing still. So for example, let's say I pick up my dog Pickles and I'm scratching his belly. And at that exact moment or each moment I'm doing this, the information is traveling in light rays. As for example, when you see the sun, it's traveling to our planet and we are seeing the sun from seven minutes ago because that is how long it takes the rays from the sun to reach our eyes here. And information, visual information is sent through light rays. And I believe in the Akashic records. They also think there's thought rays and those are also stored in the Akashic record. Now, if we were to travel faster than the speed of light, which it seems like according to physics is completely impossible, let's say we found out a way to do it, we would start seeing information that is going out in the light rays from the past because we'd be going faster than that. And to me, this is some form of way something similar to the Akashic records could work. That is, everything that has happened is stored in light rays. Now, what's the limit on this? You know, this probably would only be for this universe. This would have only started at this planet that connects with this sun and would have started at the start of the Big Bang. But there's a lot to think about here. What if there are thought waves, the way information is carried in light rays, the way visual information, maybe there is, and we just haven't really discovered it yet. There seems to be a lot of data on telepathy and experiments on telepathy that does seem to show there are some forms of thought rays. Now, there's light waves that are going on from multiple stars. This star happens to be our sun. I assume there are multiple galaxies. So I would guess the storage of information is much more complex than we experience it in our planet, in our one solar system. Also, we have recently, for example, gotten back photos of as deep into space as we ever had. And because of, as I explained, when we look into the sun, we're seeing, I think it's seven minutes ago, I forget the exact amount. And when we see those stars and areas into deep space, we're seeing it from, I believe it's like billion years ago, because it's so far. So there's some way this information is all stored. And could that tie into a bank that incorporates aspects of the future and previous lives and it's something that some people can access maybe i don't see why that's not a possibility to consider given that past lives 
seem to be true. And there seems to be some way we can see into aspects of the future. And I think we do already know and can say that masses of information is already stored within the universe. So I think it's worth considering. If you have a question you want me to answer, send it to hello at wtfjusthappened.net and put question of the week in the subject. I know I usually say first names, but if you want to be completely anonymous, let me know. And feel free to reach out anyway, even if you don't have a question. I can't wait to hear your questions and hear from you. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to share that my book, What the Fuck Just Happened? A Sciency Skeptic Explores Grief, Healing, and Evidence of an Afterlife is available now for sale. If you go to wtfjusthappened.net, you can see the link to buy it. I'll also have the link in the podcast show notes. I know many of you want to know how exactly did I come to change my mind about the afterlife? Well, this book is all about the first stages of my exploration into this afterlife evidence to where I'm at today. It starts with the awful part of when I lost my dad, how as a science-minded atheist, I first began to explore if there was any possibility of an afterlife and what and who I found most compelling. I also share some stuff that was not so compelling, such as a very clearly fake psychic medium reading and a pretty ridiculous seance, but that's balanced by some amazing peer-reviewed studies on mediums, medium readings, parapsychologists, and just a whole bunch of what the fucks, including some really inexplicable personal things that happened to me, and some really incredible signs I got from my dad. Despite the topic, it's actually funny, mainly because I'm just like such an awkward person. And you also get to learn about all the amazing people and incredible characters I met along the way, as well as more about the research that helped change my mind. And some of the people you learn about have become some of my really good friends and mentors today. So go to wtfjusthappened.net and order it. If you've already read it, please rate and review on Amazon. I cannot tell you how helpful that is. And share with any friends who might be interested. Thank you all. I'm so excited to finally share the full details of this crazy exploration with all of you. Approximately 185,000 murder cases went unsolved from 1980 to 2019. On average, 66% of homicides are solved each year. So what about the other 34%? Alarmingly, the number of murder cases that went unsolved by police hit a new high in 2020, resulting in only 50% of cases being solved, leaving far too many families with no answers, no resolution, no closure. That's why we investigate and report on unsolved cases, to spread the word in hopes of helping families who are searching for answers. We don't sleep, we're just actively looking for her. These girls were alive, they were living, breathing people. They weren't a picture in the media. 
There was a, a body found in a truck recently. None of us know anything about that body. Who, who was it? What happened? What could have happened? Who could have been involved? There's no answer. And, and it's just horrible. A true crime series investigating mysterious unsolved cases. Real people, real stories, real crimes. Tune into Speaking of Crime with your hosts, Gia and John. Available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. We are at Speaking of Crime on Instagram and Facebook, and at Crime Speaking on Twitter. listeners find you www.closertovenus.com all the episodes are there there's even transcripts starting with i think number 33 and now i think we're on about episode 98 to get more information on what the fuck just happened go to wtfjusthappened.net there you can order my book what the fuck just happened a sciency skeptic explores grief, healing, and evidence of an afterlife. And you can learn all about how I came to conclude that there most likely is an afterlife. You can also learn about the early stages of my grief and the amazing, fascinating people I met along the way. You can also read about how much I harassed them trying to get evidence, see if they were cheating, and see if they were sane. There, you can subscribe to our newsletter. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. It makes such a difference, especially for a new podcast like this one. And if any of you have had a crazy what the fuck yourself, have any questions, feedback, or just wanna say hi, reach out on either Instagram at WTF underscore just underscore happened underscore or email me at hello at WTF just happened.net. And remember, you don't have to draw any final conclusions as you wonder what the fuck just happened.